needle on the record. Welcome to Wage Cucking with JMO. All right, guys, uh, welcome to another episode of uh, the shitcoin.com podcast, uh, Wage Cucking with JMO. Today, we have a very special guest, a friend of mine, Brian, uh, better known as Ledger Status. How are you doing? Doing well, thanks. How are you? I love the name, by the way. That's a great <laughs> domain. Uh, before we get started, you want to give me a little bit of your background, how you got into crypto, like yeah, uh, would... when you got in? And um, another question I actually wanted to ask is where the name Ledger Status came from. I've, I've always wondered that. Yeah, it's actually fairly boring. I'm a 2017 cycler um, from a generation of crypto. I think we're probably the the largest generation now. We're like the millennials of crypto. But Early-ish 2017, like, it, it really matters what month because, you know, speaking of the name shitcoin.com, like, whether you caught the late spring, early summer pumps, which I did not. So, like, the the super easy 100Xs of that spring of uh, 2017, I missed most of those, but obviously they got me really excited. I got into crypto actually because I was in the web development world and uh, saw Bitcoin on Hacker News all the time going back to like 2012. I have an early tweet from 2012 making fun of Jason Bieber for starting a VC firm. <laughs> and I was, and my quote was something like, and I thought, you know, Bitcoin on the front page of Hacker News was boring or was, was, was annoying. And then Jason Bieber comes out with a VC fund. And at the time, Bitcoin was seven bucks. The crash of 2013, like, didn't surprise me. I was aware of it. For some reason, through all of that early Bitcoin days, I just didn't think of it as investable. Like, I thought of it as, you know, Reddit cash, basically, mm -hmm. uh, even though I was into trading from uh, an early age, I started, I guess you could call it like swing trading stocks in eighth and ninth grade. Like I remember the Google IPO, for example. Um, so I was into investing and trading, just never thought of uh, crypto as investable. And then when I heard about Ethereum, was that was not until 2017. And all of a sudden, my web development background, I worked in open source, all that stuff, like just hit a light bulb in my head and I got, I was like, man, now this makes sense to me. Like programmability on a blockchain, the, the smart contract side of things. And I was like, there's this whole other world beyond sending and receiving internet money. Um, and now I also see how you can add value to all of this. And then of course you get down the, like, I understand Bitcoin better now too, at that, at that point uh -huh. from the investability standpoint. And, uh, you know, went super deep down the rabbit hole in 2017 and everything started to click. And having come from the the web development space, my ledger status was really just like a Twitter account that I created because I was following too many crypto people on my normal account. Uh -huh. And it's literally the status of the ledger. So not like ledger, the wallet, like the uh -huh. ledger, the accounting well, thing. Like the block, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So my first, uh, my web business was called post status based on like the stat, the state It's a database field in a, in a WordPress site. Like, <laughs> uh -huh. so like the status of the post is published or draft or something like that. So it was a dumb name for my old company. And then when I started the crypto account, it was literally like, well, it's the status of a post status of a ledger. There we go. So pretty boring story on that front, but everybody got to know me on that account. And then, so now just as or more way more people call me ledger than they call me uh brian that's for sure <laughs> that's pretty funny yeah it, it makes sense i got into crypto a bit earlier but um when i got into crypto it was basically just passing money back and forth uh like it was bitcoin yeah. and then some other coins but but there wasn't real uh usability of of any of the chains besides like basically doing basic transactions like all the, bitcoin forks not like not 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 the, not the programmability side yeah yeah well, who it, was doing smart contracts before ethereum like there were experiments in smart yeah, contracts yeah yeah there was um the, the one that caught my eye back in the day i think it was called uh nxt um, oh yeah but it, it wow, was like so, so, so the founders of nxt were like sasha from waves uh, I, I forget who else but like three or for guys who after they left the project uh created their own own layer one but th th that, that was my first like foray into looking at programmability for blockchain but it, like it, i thought it was like a pretty decent project but it was just like way too early to the market like people weren't ready to th there wasn't anyone building on it no one really understand understood how to utilize like the smart contract protocol to build stuff people yeah. were still like figuring out how to 
you know, install a wallet and mine Bitcoin. And at the point, maybe um, I think NXT was actually before Ethereum, like 2013, 2014. And Ethereum was 2015. Uh, but yeah, there, there wasn't that much uh, back at that point. And then it's crazy how quickly crypto takes off um like yeah. we haven't had like real smart contracts like e even when ethereum was developed there weren't actually any smart contracts on e ethereum being used in in you know large volumes for at least like two to three years after inception That's oh, yeah like, and people were like super not creative you yeah. know it's like here i can i can create a, a coin i can do an ico yeah was, i mean now people just don't even realize that uniswap was transformative to yeah. what you can do uh, on a blockchain that got me that's what actually got me reinvigorated because even in 2017 it was you could really tell that there was a lack of exploring what's truly possible on a blockchain and and you know there's a lot of sophistication in smart contracts and, and and there's some challenges there yeah it was it was an interesting time i learned a ton and uh you said nxt it's funny i i almost guarantee you at one point i bought nxt on bitrex looking for some <laughs> kind of like echo bubble of of nxt in 20, in 2017 but yeah i got really excited about ethereum and then i got excited about bitcoin as i like dug deeper into kind of crypto ecosystem as a whole and yeah, so much then was still happening on centralized exchanges, like the vast majority of crypto activity was uh, off chain. And so crypto to me, even though I liked that ethos was still mostly about trading and, um, and it was still a lot about trading, mm -hmm. <laughs> but less about <laughs> less about like what crypto can really be. And then when DeFi came around, that was when a lot clicked and it's like, holy cow, look at all this stuff you can do yeah. without a counterparty. And yeah. Um, like you and I can be, you know, both participating on chain and we're just, we're operating through code, uh, together. Like it's yeah. super cool. Yeah, it, it is really cool though. The whole, uh, 2017 bull cycle, I guess when you got in was basically driven by the fact that like ERC 20 tokens existed and people figured out how to mint ERC 20 tokens. So it, it felt like the whole bull run was basically just you mint your own ERC-20 token, you make up some use case for it, so some protocol you want to develop, you know, you have good marketing, yeah. you have good whatever, and then like the valuations were insane. I mean, I, I guess like if you look at like the, the next bull cycles. I was about to say, it yeah. still sounds like 2021, except, <laughs> you know, you just like tweak the knobs on the narrative a little bit. But the copy-paste, I mean, Tron is literally copy-paste Ethereum, mm -hmm. and the, there's several of those. And several that lasted have lasted a long time and now you've got kind of the copy paste alternate layer ones but like wow. you know some different mechanism here or there uh or the copy paste layer twos are <laughs> super popular now so people are always going to do that and crypto has opened up a tremendous like fundraising capability that wow. i don't i don't think that rabbit is ever going back in the hat honestly like you know they talk about how much they're in the U.S., at least, they want to tamp down on that, and and I just don't think that's yeah. gonna work. Like, it's too easy to create and then raise capital on chain, yeah. Yeah. and you'll always have people that take that easy route, even whether it's legal or not. Yeah, I I, I agree with that for sure, especially as development increases in crypto it's going to be easier and easier like the barrier to entry for like oh, the yeah. average person they're going to be able to do a lot more on chain than they are today um so in the next like five ten years i i mean e ethereum is like in, in not even a decade old and the like something like Uniswap, DEXs, uh, Aave, the whole decentralized finance landscape is, is only still like a few years old. So uh, I, I feel like way further down um, the, down the line that there's going to be qu uh, quite a bit of new innovation. And also like the ease of use will, will uh, make it a lot easier for the average person to get in. Especially yeah. probably at the DAP layer, kind of like, I mean, kind of like what I, I came from the web industry and a, a content management system, it just provides you tunability uh -huh. of a website, like turn this on, turn this off, plug in here, plug in there. And right now, a lot of people are like, oh, well, to do this, you got to have, you know, a smart contract developer making half a million a year. And like, you got to uh -huh. have all these things versus, okay, well, I need X feature, turn it on, Y feature, turn it on. And you have this tunability at the contract layer. So a DAP builder 
um, has, probably is going to be able to do a lot more with a lot fewer development resources in the coming years. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, yeah, so I wanted to talk a bit about your time at doing the Up Only podcast with uh, yeah. Kobe. Uh, yeah. So the Up Only podcast is actually sort of my inspiration for 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 doing these podcasts. Just because oh, nice. um, I, I'm I'm really bad at like public speaking, and but I I have a lot of like interesting friends that in crypto I like talking to crypto about, and I I thought it'd be fun to. Uh, to, to just like do a podcast once in a while and see what they're up to and then put out some decent content. And then the, my buddies at shitcoin.com, they basically handle everything in the background. I don't do anything. I just message the guests. I, nice. I show up, everything is produced for me. Everything is handled. Uh, but, but initially, uh, how did you get into uh, doing podcasts? And I guess, I guess Kobe said publicly that um, you guys weren't ever going to do a uh, up only podcast again. Do, do I don't know when did he say that. I haven't seen that one. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't I, call I it saw, dead. Uh, I, I saw it uh, somewhere on, on Twitter. So, so it, it's it's not dead. You're saying that, that, that there. I wouldn't might call be... it dead. Okay. It's okay. uh, it's 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 dead-ish. But I would <laughs> no, I wouldn't I wouldn't call it dead. Yeah. So whether we record it again or not, I mean, I guess I don't know. But in terms of how did it come about, was that where you're asking? Yeah. Yeah. How did you come up with the idea to? to do a podcast with him. Oh yeah. Yeah. You're asking about my history of podcasting. So I did, um, I did video and podcast stuff, some online conferences and also some interview type stuff back in my web days going back to probably about 2015. So just from an experience side of things, learning about podcasting and video and whatnot, that's where that came from. And pretty quickly after I got into crypto, I started doing, and I still do, a conversational podcast with Josh Olswich, who goes by mm -hmm. Carpe Noctum. So we've talked every Friday for like, I don't know, six years now, um, okay. or almost every Friday. Uh -huh. It's a small podcast, though. It's almost all TA, like just yeah, talking yeah, I've, charts. I've, I've listened to it before. It's yeah, we're really like price action stuff. Yeah. yeah, we're really not trying to entertain anybody per se. It's like me and Josh talk, and if other people want to listen, that's totally fine. So I, I've had that since 2017. I have another price action podcast called weekly open that I do with cred and Don. Um, oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So that's, uh, it's just weekly open on, on YouTube. Uh -huh. Um, and that's, that's newer, but, um, same kind of idea. And I've always, no matter how much I get excited about like fundamentals and, uh, whatnot, like the price, the price action is always a component for me and I just can't shake it. So like, I've always had this draw to that side of things. And that's where my crypto podcasting has been mostly because I want the opportunity to talk about it. That's how my Twitter got popular back in 2017, 2018 too, is just kind of posting charts and whatnot. In terms of the relationship with Kobe, I think he was aware of me back in that cycle, but I was still like a first cycler. I'm sure you understand this as someone yeah. who's been around for a long time. It's like lots of people like me come and then go, yeah. uh, you know, don't survive a cycle. But I feel like once you survive a cycle, it's kind of like you've graduated and, you know, you can start to, create better relationships with people mm -hmm. that are in the industry and yeah. they realized you like you're not a one and done type yeah. of person and then i think he was entertained during the um all the presidential election stuff that i was uh, very much not a trump fan and uh, but i'm in alabama and he's like oh that's yeah. interesting <laughs> <laughs> here's this like southern american guy but like outspokenly uh, does not like Trump. And so I think he thought that was entertaining. And and and, and we would talk to each other some uh, in like DeFi summer and, and those mm -hmm. types of time periods talking about on-chain stuff. Because Kobe likes talking about stuff, but he really can't set, talk about anything publicly because so many people pay attention to his Twitter. Yeah. And he's like, He's like very attentive to not trying to influence anything in regards to, to yeah. price or any token. So one day for, I don't even remember why he was wanting to do this, but he was wanting to talk to BitLord and like stream a uh, a thing with BitLord and it just was not working. And it was <laughs> in, in the ver very early part of 2021 when BitLord was on some kind of like bender and like going off about how Doge was going to the moon. And, and lo and behold, it, it very much was. But I was like, I had this open channel on Telegram with Kobe, and I was like, dude, you're not succeeding streaming this. Can I just stream it for you? And that became just an at very organic episode zero of Up Only. Mm -hmm. So I streamed it, and then him and Bitlord there, and then Kobe just started bringing on other people. So Fluffy Pony came on, yeah. Um, Mare and the TikTok Witch came on, yeah. like some other TikTokers from from that time came on, yeah. And it just turned into episode zero, and then we were like. 
well, that was fun. You know, there were seven, seven or 8,000 people watching it live. Yeah. Um, and it was at one in the morning. I was down here in my office. It was like, it's so late right now. My whole family's asleep and I'm just cracking up at all these crazy people on the stream. And um, so we, we talked and we're like, should we just do this again another day? And so we started doing streams and we would give away money at the end of the streams just for fun. And like, yeah. that's how the, that's how the, like the Twitch discovery stuff came up. Cause we would go on a, uh, other people's yeah yeah i remember twitch streams yeah yeah the, like, the biggest one the the i guess the most famous one was the mel mela b uh, yeah her name uh, um yeah she's like she, random people streaming and then had had your followers donate money and she got yeah, like, was like, she grand. like six figures yeah yeah, yeah. It, it was awesome uh, um, and what's great is her and cam ferguson who's the other guy that had the big one mm -hmm. um they're both still like deep into crypto like they're yeah. making music doing crypto involved in the community so they took they took a w got like you know a couple years of life expenses paid for and yeah. um they were amazing musicians for what it's worth yeah so they had like zero people watching their stream we find it and then uh go on their stream and we're like that i got got the audience to spam them to play nirvana and uh -huh. then uh yeah, if yeah. they could play nirvana well then people just started giving them money and yeah. it was super organic very much a bull market thing but a mm -hmm. lot of fun and we always that was always our goal with the podcast is just have fun on a stream. Otherwise, why bother? Yeah, um, I, I feel like there's been quite a few uh, pretty memorable. I, I watched like quite a few of the episodes and there have been pretty few, quite a few uh, mem memorable uh, moments. And, and I feel like uh, you talk about it a little bit, um, but th there's an up only curse if you look at the, the guests <laughs> that come on like from like uh you had kyle you had sue you had oh, one of the funniest moments was when uh martin screlly told doquan oh, that the jail wouldn't be so bad and then like a year that one later, went super viral yeah, yeah um you know that ended up on um on on hbo um, oh yeah yeah the guy that does the talk show on hbo like carried that clip uh, the john, john oliver, oliver. Yeah, yeah 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 i i remember that yeah, on the show he called it a cursed zoom call and he's like couldn't be more right <laughs> it was cursed for a long time um yeah. and i think i think it was honestly well there were two there were a couple curses one was like the price of bitcoin and eth just went down every single episode it's like some whale out there is like oh up only starting i'm selling right now <laughs> and then in addition to that the audience always wanted the craziest people like the most interesting people doing the yeah. wildest stuff and it's like it's by the time it hits fever pitch it's probably the top of whatever people are arguing for whether mm -hmm. it's a person's reputation or their performance yeah. if you're looking at like somebody that runs a hedge fund or if it's a project founder or something like that and um yeah the, so ended up being a lot of those people were doing bad things and and you know <laughs> got arrested or blew up or whatever yeah. uh got sued who knows what and uh, another another one be. i just remembered uh, another one was uh you had you had uh zane who's a, a good friend of mine a, a good friend yeah. of uh, ours at uh shitcoin.com as well you had him on like basically a week after or like a few weeks after Less than, the, yeah the, the, it was the like podcast yeah it was still um i mean it was still in fallout mode so mm -hmm. while he was on was when the like not sure if it's a hack, not sure if it's authorities taking funds, but like all the FTX remaining customer funds that were on public hot wallets were yeah. just draining and Zane yeah, was like, yeah. what's going it was, on? And he's the, like- the, It happened like live, right? During, yeah, during yeah. the time that you're recording. Yeah. So like in the middle of the podcast, like this breaking news, it like the remaining FTX funds are, are are being like hacked and siphoned off and you can see the the, the pain and anger in Zane's face as he's taking calls and he's like dealing with this bullshit again. Stuff yeah. like that was- that that was the some of the saddest part of the FTX fallout to me is when you could tell like some of the people who were highly motivated bought in on yeah. the team and not they lost everything and yeah. they still cared. Yeah. I think that's an example of like just how great the betrayal was from from Sam and Caroline and whoever else was involved. Yeah, yeah, uh, I, I I felt bad for it because uh, I I know quite a few people that like either work for FTX or were like Almeida traders at the time, yeah. and they they basically had I'd say like a majority of them had like over seventy five percent of their net worth either on FTX like in Almeida balances or like in FTX equity. I, I think Sam offered like all his employees um a, a round of equity in FTX at a discount from like the the previous valuation. Um, 
like like a, pr- a pretty hefty discount and i'm i'm pretty sure basically everyone that that got that offer took it just because they, they believed in the company and and they believed well what sam was doing so yeah it's pretty sad that he he basically wiped out like all the people that believed in him like his, his own people besides like the the few people at the top that were you know in the know with in the know what he's doing. Yeah. yeah that's messed up man and it was and that's why we recorded so much at the time is you know obviously we started with blockfolio on our name and for a reason mm-hmm. we just wanted like no leverage portfolio tracking very yeah. amenable and then they just like gradually nuked blockfolio and yeah. <laughs> turned it into ftx formerly yeah. blockfolio then yeah. ftx and then there was no difference between like the tracking app and the trading app and so we kind of like got backdoored into being sponsored by FTX, which yeah. cost us big time in the end. Did you get any like negative feedback or hate from oh, essentially yeah. promoting FTX? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Frequently. And I don't know. I don't, one, I don't think it's fair. We didn't ever like promote leverage trading or anything. And then yeah. um, also we were just a podcast with a sponsor yeah. that was well-respected by the entire community. And, and you know, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I, I feel like I feel like there's a huge difference between basically getting paid to to shill whatever from like these small like startup companies yeah. or, or projects, <laughs> and then you know at, at, the, at the point where at the point where FTX has their logo and like the the, the Miami, Miami theme, arena. Yeah. yeah, like they're they're sponsoring like Shaquille O'Neal, Tom Brady, people like that. Even um, though there was no evidence at the time of any wrongdoing, like. Kobe's instincts were dead on when they made the switch from Blockfolio to FTX. He was like, do you think we should just like get out of the contract because they changed the name? Like, just, mm-hmm. And I think his uh, he just has this survivalist instinct. Anybody that's been around crypto for a long time, yeah. I feel like has this. And we talked through it, ended up not. And then when it, all that went down, he was like, damn, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and anyway, so it's, yeah, we really were trying to be as responsible as we possibly could like we could get we could have gotten way more money from other exchanges yeah, yeah, deri- for sure. you know derivatives only exchanges or you know these random fly by night completely you, unregulated you see like how, how how much um like sites like Rollbit are, are paying the, the their oh, influencers yeah. the, these days it's insane yeah and, and that's that's partly what's annoying is because our podcast was quite influential but in, we, we literally didn't make money on it mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah and so it's uh it's pretty frustrating we could have done things a lot worse we just got a, a bad end of the stick that who was who we were working with uh-huh. literally were fraudulent and also trying to talk this big game from regulatory front whatnot uh-huh. so you know obviously regret that ftx was our our partner but like i don't think we made it wrong like bad decisions in yeah. real time yeah um i feel like we were trying to act incredibly responsibly yeah but it was concentrated in the sense of it's not like we carried five sponsors and one of them blew up we carried one sponsor mostly yeah. because we didn't want to obliterate the stream with like ad roll <laughs> Yeah, you yeah, know, for like, sure. We just and, wanted to... and it, I mean the other thing is it was like also basically the the biggest crypto company in the space at the time. It, it's not like yeah. you were you, you took sponsorship from like sort of shady company and then they yeah. blew up. I, I feel and, like and ninety nine percent of our audience understands that, uh-huh. and one percent can be very loud. Yeah, but... <laughs> yeah, I, I understand that. Uh, so speaking of Rollbit, do, do you have a take on like what's going on with Rollbit and like the, the, the their model and the fact that they're they're paying these like big crypto Twitter accounts? Uh, I think certain amounts of money, like like hundreds think, of thousands of dollars a month. Yeah, I think what I get confused about is more about what I've heard from the way their trade execution works because I, mm-hmm. I I heard, I heard it's like you can basically get filled for inf- infinite amount because it's kind of like a, a synthetic match or like. Almost like the way synthetics on chain, yeah, yeah. you just mint infinite amounts right away. So yeah. like, I don't understand how that liquidity engine works. Uh, uh, um, it, it's it's just uh, you're trading against the house versus like like a peer to peer market with with market makers. But it seems like kind of pennies in front of a steamroller type of thing. Like they yeah. do, are they building a massive insurance fund? Because what if enough people get filled and the house is off sides? You know? Yeah. The, 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 that's a good question and, and like like historically speaking if you look at um not necessarily in crypto but like a, a model similar is like your traditional sports book right like well when, when you yeah. place a bet on a sports book you don't have a counterparty your counterparty is, is the sports book it's the house so they have an internal team right that like 
determines like who's sharp, who's not sharp. Like if if you're providing toxic flow, if you're sniping lines. And then uh, I feel like the, the way all these things end is either like they they halt withdrawals or or they 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 cut you off or, or they do something but they'll do everything in their power if if you're making a, like consistently sharp bets to 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 cut you off because they basically don't want any of the toxic flow they they just want like the average degen looking to gamble um to to, to try to what run i up. find strange there is the people they're trying to partner with like theoretically some of them are those sharks yeah and like if they're giving them larger size than typical participants can they end up in a screwy situation there yeah um i don't know it just seems i i there's not a lot of disclosure around that similar to sports betting sites and everything else and and i think that's where i get, would get a little concerned and also like how how reputable is the team are we basically making the same mistakes over again it seems every cycle though one of these entities comes up people tend to be kind of distrusting of it at first and then it gets so big that all of a sudden you start trusting it because it's so big yeah like, there's so many market participants and the yeah. economic forces just become very powerful i think binance did that i think bybit did that ftx did that and, and maybe rollbit's going to do that maybe like these early referral campaigns are going to end up being so unbelievably powerful because Rollbit gets has this perpetual uh flywheel that mm -hmm. is just incredible and and everybody else is going to end up being like man how did we not figure that out like they're they're legit like yeah. it wasn't just a, a fly-by-night thing it was like a real a real powerful company you just can't predict that up front it's more of um the people who are backing it up front or taking that gamble uh, but the upside's massive and so if you look at it from a purely capitalist perspective i understand it i think if you're disclosing up front like i don't know i'm kind of it's kind of a yolo move like dyor <laughs> yeah know? yeah then then sure but if somebody's like trying to say like how how good they are and they know all this stuff and blah 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 you're not you can't really say that with a straight yeah. face like yeah. hey this is a casino you need to understand this is a casino here's my ref link then uh -huh. fine whatever yeah that makes sense yeah so moving on a bit um so you're the founder of flip which is as far as i understand it i'm not really in, in nfts but it's like similar to what uh debank or uh zapper is for DeFi, like like a wallet tracker but also um you integrate an otc matchmaking service on the site um you want to talk a little bit about what you're doing there yeah so we actually very early on started out thinking we were going to be doing more stuff with DeFi, but in 2021 saw how much of a need there was for kind of a prosumer level of of viewing on-chain activity but for nfts mm -hmm. and so it, it's flip.xyz is the website if anybody mm -hmm. wants to check it out um, but we do have like all the portfolio tracking uh profile level stuff you can buy and sell you can do otc trades but it's actually all for nfts and so you can get an overview of your portfolio there's a lot of really cool stuff it's kind of a one-of-a-kind app that uh at the same time we're seeing like jpeg markets get obliterated so mm -hmm. you know rough rough timing on that which always happens you know a lot of companies yeah. initially build during a hype cycle and then have to survive through a a, a bear market but yeah. yeah so we've been building flip for a while built quite a, a suite of of products and i think the biggest thing that we're uh looking out for is like what does the long-term utility look like for nfts because mm -hmm. i'm a big believer in the nft spec but that doesn't mean i love jpegs <laughs> like yeah. i lo i love the idea of managing title deed and receipts on chain mm -hmm. like yeah. for singular items yeah and what i'm not necessarily a big believer in is like every animal in the world having a, <laughs> a jpeg community yeah um and what are you doing for me lately um, and yeah. we're seeing that play out. Like we're on the on the down downside of of a hype cycle, and a lot of people are looking at it like, "Oh, look at you! You're like building for the the a beanie baby cycle after the bubble popped." Yeah, and that's just not really what I believe. That, and I, I think smart people can look at this and realize, like, yes, there was a beanie bubble, beanie baby level hype cycle. But the underlying technology in NFTs is really interesting, whereas yeah. Beanie Babies have, it's not like there was technology underlying it. It yeah, was just yeah. a hype cycle for, you know, plushy collectibles. So, yeah.
Yeah, but that makes sense. Uh, so you have any thoughts of like the the current, I guess, like whatever is going on in NFTs? Like I followed a little bit and like the, I guess, Azuki's were in the news this week. Yeah. They, they, they had like a, a mint that was basically like a, a copy paste of their um, their previous collections. And like yeah. people were pissed off about that. The, Pretty amazing. The, the, the floor prices for like a bunch of the NFTs oh, went down quite a bit. Like, how, how do you see the the whole NFT landscape playing out in like the next few years? Like, do you think like these JPEG profile picture NFT projects, like will any of them last or will will we transition into more utility for NFTs or actual use cases beyond just like posting art or whatever you want to call it on? Yeah, I, I mean, I think collectibles will and collectibles and therefore the value of the collectible plus the appreciation of whatever you're collecting that will be a big part of the nft market but that should be an ever decreasing piece of the pie for nfts mm -hmm. so like number go up should not be the base case for nfts working as a whole yeah like utility of nfts so i like to think of them as experiential right like the fact that i went to a national championship game for mm -hmm. auburn like yeah. if my ticket is an NFT, the NFT is an experience. I purchased the ability to go. Maybe my it, it gives me access to of some kind, like VIP access. And mm -hmm. then the the JPEG is my like long-term memorabilia. Yeah. You know, like that type of thing. I'm not expecting after the event for the number to go up, but the NFT could have played a role in that like product cycle in the in the yeah the scope of the event, but the, the collectible side of things, like what you saw in Azuki, it's basically just inflation of a, of an altcoin in a different way, right? It's yeah. like, they have 10,000 of these. And then they're like, here's 20,000 more yeah. with a slightly different name, but the same community. Yeah. And now that, that community of people who love it have to absorb the price of that inflation. So yeah. you're just, instead of like an altcoin where you increase the size of the coin yeah yeah over the course of four years it's like hey we're going to triple it overnight yeah <laughs> and you're going to play you're going to pay two ETH each for the privilege creates creates a ton of reflexivity and that's why you see the volatility in the price as well for something that's supposed to be a collectible mm -hmm. and i think that's what's creating those problems and and a lot of those communities in the in a bull market where more and more people want in it could absorb that it could absorb that inflation much better because there was this demand like when apes were doing really well and mutant yeah. apes come out it absorbed mutant apes really really well and everything kept running because more and more yeah. money was chasing it when you're on yeah. the downside of that this should have been totally predictable for azuki and then when your launch is so bad in addition to that where people can't tell the difference between an elemental and azuki yeah. that creates big problems because now you don't feel special for owning an azuki and you're like pissing off your top contributors um because of of what you did in the in the process of that drop but i think that's the biggest thing that's happening there is you're just creating massive inflation it's like hyperinflation of the collection yeah. all at once but if that's all nfts ever are then building flip is pointless and yeah. nfts are pretty stupid <laughs> but i don't think that's all nfts are i think that uh -huh. nfts can unlock all kinds of interesting stuff because we use title in the real world in a lot of ways. And I yeah. think you'll see the same thing with NFT technology. I think the uh, the core unit of all of these things, though, is you start to think about like what the use cases might be for NFTs, whether it's in gaming, like building your avatar and your avatar might be an NFT of NFTs, right? Mm -hmm. So like your avatar in the game carries value and then your sword <laughs> that your avatar carries carries value. Yeah. And so like, those are interesting concepts. And now you can create a liquidity profile. You can create an open framework for like avatar sharing between games that collaborate. And you can start to imagine how you might disrupt legacy gaming systems yeah. through these more open systems. And that's just gaming. So expand that out to all the different things people talk about NFTs for, whether it's yeah. music or events or games. Yeah, or yeah. Like real ticketing, estate stuff like that, yeah, or ticketing events, yeah, whatever. I think there's an opportunity for disruption where mm -hmm. NFTs are at the the base layer of that. And my belief is basically that if NFTs are a part of your life in these various ways, you you essentially need a place where you manage all that. Yeah. So this almost like Zillow for NFTs, and that's kind of what I think of for Flip. Yeah. Yeah, the, um, that, that definitely makes sense. Um, so I I have like a bunch of people that that I know in uh, gaming or like the you want to call it Web three gaming, and the 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 bull case that they all have right now, even though that that 
they aren't really developing great games is that the the legacy game makers are so rigid in their like traditional ways that like if the market takes like if this specific market takes off or like if on-chain nft gaming takes off that they'll have the complete market share because like your traditional companies won't ever dabble in, in, in like the the blockchain aspect of things like if you, if you talk to big people working for like uh valve or blizzard activision or like all these big gaming companies that the, they're like pretty set in their ways and how they develop games how they distribute games and stuff like that so i mean it, it feels like there that there is like you know like space for the, this nft gaming thing to grow and there's and they're dominant until they're not right and there there's really there direct correlations of where this type of market disruption has occurred before two of the biggest ones in in investing in vc that we've seen before are taxis and hotels mm -hmm. right like uber and lyft and airbnb were just completely natural disruption and what's interesting is the gaming market is even less, uh, much less like regulated than those markets. So your mm -hmm. barriers to disruption are lower. So I, I think some of the challenges there are that people think, okay, well, you can't move these, these behemoths, but I don't mm -hmm. think that's really true. I think that if the incentives for why they need to be moved are great enough, then they will be moved. They will be uh -huh. disrupted. And, and I think that there's a potential for that in several industries where um, we kind of take for granted the how movable um, that behemoth is. Like Live Nation is another one. If you're thinking of NFTs mm -hmm. for events, yeah. people are like, no way can you disrupt Live Nation. Yeah. And I just, I don't know, I call BS to that. Like everybody in the world complains about the fee structure. And yeah. like, okay, here's my $200 concert ticket that I paid $300 for. And you have like a service <laughs> fee, a tax. Like, yeah, like, this like, like, come on, yeah. what kind of scam is this? And all it takes is sometimes literally one person motivated enough to do it differently mm -hmm. and boom, like off you yeah, go. Yeah, it, it, it takes off like that. Yeah, like look at, and I'm not, I'm not saying she would do this, but look at what Taylor Swift could do like from her own pocketbook. Think of yeah. individual incentives. Yeah. How much could she take away from Live Nation yeah. by going straight to the customer? Uh, yeah, like her 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 last uh, tour what netted like one point three billion. Like yeah, the, she, she probably gets it's like insane. At, at least a, a couple hundred million of it back in her. I pocket. heard she's yeah. gonna personally make like five hundred million. Yeah. Okay, but what if she does this tour again? Every venue that could catch. Taylor Swift would say, okay, we'll take this bet with you. We'll go direct to consumer and we're going to make a lot of money and Live Nation can suck it. Yeah. <laughs> like you can just, and I'm not saying this is how it's going to work. I'm not an expert on the industry, but like you can't deny that there is a path to taking out middlemen in this way. Yeah, and for, for sure. One of the things crypto has proven over and over again is that it knows how to take out middlemen. Uh -huh. And this is what I think could be opened up to to create disruption to some an industry where people say that disruption cannot occur we've seen middlemen being taken out of music with spotify we've seen middlemen taking taken out of you know rideshare with mm -hmm. with uber and lyft and this is common and i yeah. think that it'll occur again i don't think nfts have to play a role but i think that there's a world where nfts do play a big role yeah. in in what that disruption looks like so for the listeners or watchers of this that are into NFTs and might want to use Flip, uh, I was just curious, what uh, what what chains does Flip support? Do you guys have a, is it web only or do you guys have a, like a iOS or Android app? Yeah, we have, we have iOS and Android apps have for a long time. Um, we have been kind of converting them more to be in like a companion app because you can't purchase in app. Yeah. It's just, you know, iOS doesn't allow mm -hmm. that. So you can't do all the things in the app that you could before, but you can track your portfolio, you can check your feed. So like uh -huh. if you follow like Azuki's or Pudgy Penguins, like you can get notifications that the floor is uh -huh. down or like this particular asset that you're watching is has been listed and you might want to go buy it or uh, -huh. uh whatever. So we have some really innovative features for someone who wants to engage with the space, like mm -hmm. your feed of what you follow and like the people you follow. So like I can stalk your wallet and be notified of everything you ever do. For uh -huh. <laughs> I do that for several people. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so if you just go to flip.xyz and connect your wallet, you can set up a profile. Uh, we just, we support ETH layer one. That's mostly, a, there's a lot of spam on other chains. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot going on on ETH layer one. 
yeah. as well. So we'd love to support more chains, probably EVM first. So uh-huh. like EV, EVM compatible layer ones or uh, or layer twos. Uh-huh. There's a pretty big ecosystem on Polygon, for example, that I'd love to yeah. support. Um, but there's a lot of spam. So we'd probably have to whitelist those collections rather than just what we do now is we support everything as soon as it hits like some minimum volume threshold. Uh-huh. And the amount of data that you're working through is just pretty magnificent. It's kind of a cost prohibitive thing to go support a bunch of layer twos and stuff right now. But I think if people are listening to this and they do are interested in NFTs, like we have a best in class app. It's just not enough people know about it. So yeah. that's unfortunate. And I, you know, a large part of that is like, we're not out there shilling a token mm-hmm. <laughs> and people right now to participate yeah. in the NFT space, they, they, they want to get paid for it. And so I understand that. So, so you're saying that there's no airdrop coming. No, there's no airdrop plan right now. <laughs> okay, okay. So, so the other thing, uh, so you guys have like an OTC market. How exactly does that work? Do people just connect MetaMask and like put bid offers and then they fill? Yeah, and you can actually um, you can actually set your counterparty or not. So let's say that I have like three Azukis that I want to get rid of. I can actually put those three Azukis up on one side and on the other side, I can either say I want to sell these to JMO and then propose my trade directly to you, like with a, mm-hmm. it's almost like a Google Doc share link. So uh-huh. it's like public to anyone that has the link see, with that I hash see. on it. So, so, so like, uh, if you did that, I would be the only one that could fill the- That's right. The your wallet, your wallet, your flip profile, like would all be connected. And there's a nice little interface for uh-huh. uh, essentially proposing the trade directly. And then you're not going to have that counterparty scam that happens over and over again with yeah. historical OTC. So it's just a great- yeah. It's a great tool, to be honest. And then the other thing that you can do is you can not put it on order books. So like you don't have to list it on OpenSea or Blur or something. Yeah, You can do both of those things on Flip too, like just manage your listings across okay. marketplaces. Oh, cool. But you can also just say, hey, I'm going to I'm gonna make a listing, but I'm not going to put it on order book, but I'm going to have the same situation as earlier. I want to sell these Azukis, but I want to just, you know, go out to the market and say, Hey, I'm asking for like 30 ETH for these three Azukis and uh-huh. I can share it on my Twitter or something, or I can yeah. share it in like a small telegram chat uh-huh. and anyone can then connect and complete that trade, oh, Okay, but cool. it's kind of a way to quietly sell. So the example I like to give is let's say I own 10 Fidenzas and I like quietly want to sell one, but I don't want to nuke the floor. So if I want to sell a, a Fidenza a little below floor, I can sell it to like a, a buy sell trade channel or something like that. That's yeah. a smaller group of people, and I'm not impacting the market price as much. Uh-huh. And and I think that's a, a fun feature. And and then when someone goes and executes the order, the only thing the market ever sees is boom, Fidenza, you know, has, has transferred. But that's yeah. It. Uh, are there any fees for these OTC transactions? It's zero fee. Um, the royalties are set based on the floor of the collection itself so uh-huh. if it's a rare you're getting a, a royalty that's based on the the floor itself so you actually save a little bit there and then we actually have partnerships that we're working on so we have one with pudgy penguins so pudgyswap.com is okay. just a uh interface for this feature and theirs uh, is actually zero fee and zero royalty uh-huh. so flip is actually the cheapest place to trade pudgy penguins by far because uh-huh. there's no fees no royalties and you can as long as you're including something from pudgy penguins then the entire tr- trade is zero royalty i actually know for a fact that uh, i have a bunch of friends that are uh pengu maxis so if yeah. you guys are listening to this and, and need to offload or want to load up on some more penguins uh you should use this instead of the uh traditional methods I mean, it's significantly cheaper when you consider what royalties are um, across the board. And we're we're considering some options because we want to support creators, but we may actually ask because OTC is a different market than public order books. Mm-hmm. So we may specifically um, request of communities to set their royalty. And if they don't set their royalty on flip mm-hmm. for OTC, then we may just set it to zero. Because I don't know when you're like doing this direct trade, you know your counterparty. It's a lot different service than yeah. when you're yeah, when you're sure. on an open order book. Yeah. But we also want to give control to creators, but we don't necessarily just want to like inher- like inherit whatever their open order book royalty is. So uh-huh. yeah, the, so the Pudgy Penguins team opted to do zero royalty. That's why it's set that way. So we're trying to figure out what the right blend is there for OTC for for other other uh, NFTs. 
Uh-huh. Uh, before we let you go today, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, your takes on the the current crypto landscape. I know you got into crypto in t- 2017, the the whole ICO yeah. cycle. Then there was the DeFi summer where we had like all these DeFi protocols uh, popping up. Um, I'm sure you were a participant in uh, quite a bit of that as well. Um, oh, yeah. You and I used to talk about farming a good bit. Yeah, 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 for <laughs> sure, for sure. And and now I feel like we're at like a little bit of a, a weird stage where um, like it felt like we, at least in my opinion, it felt like we were going into like um, a prolonged uh, bear market, but then there was like a small up, uptick in price, small uptick in activity. I feel like we're having a little bit of a, I wouldn't call it a DeFi summer, but like maybe a, a lukewarm DeFi summer going on now. And then there's constantly regulatory stuff coming out now, the whole Coinbase, Binance, ETF drama. Um, do you yeah. have any takes on like the, the current landscape of crypto and how you seeing this all playing out going forward? Yeah, I'm not sure I'd call it 2020, but do you remember like April, May 2019? It was well, I mean, the bear was deep at the time. There were a lot of people that were depressed, but it was an interesting time for the market where there were some recoveries and there also started to be like more uncorrelated performances that you saw. So like uh-huh. the DeFi winners were doing well in 2019, like synthetics and yeah, Aave yeah. and link and were doing really well. And, you know, Arthur zero X was like dominating, but not everybody was a lot of people's bags were just getting punished and kind of that yeah. decorrelation of performance was important in 2019 and you started to see like sector narratives show up and i think we might be doing something like that again where we start to see certain sectors that are gonna live (laughs) for another cycle Mm -hmm. start to decorrelate from things that are just not gonna not gonna be there for the long term and and, uh, that's usually the type of thing that happens once um major assets have already bottomed Mm-hmm. And and I I tend to be a believer that uh, Bitcoin and ETH have bottomed. Like I feel like sub eight hundred dollar ETH is going to be real tough to get. Like mm-hmm. probably requires significant regulatory crackdowns. And mm-hmm. I'm not even sure that the U.S. has enough crypto power anymore to do that yeah. all by itself. Like the U.S. bans crypto might have kind of a China bans crypto vibe over the yeah, next couple yeah. Of years. Yeah, I I get that feeling as well. Uh, so, so do you also have a take on um, what's going on in Ethereum? The, the, the it seems like there's quite a few layer twos emerging, and then like there's a lot of EVM compatible layer ones that are the sort of integrating, uh, say like uh, the, the the same layer two technology in their layer ones. How, how do you see like the whole landscape pl- playing out? Like, are there specific layer twos that you're like bullish on, or you have any takes on that? My bags might be talking if I answer yeah. this question. <laughs> so I I think. I think like a multi-layer ecosystem, a multi-layer one ecosystem is guaranteed, but I do think there's going to be winners and losers. Like there's going to be zombie chains, which there's always been zombie chains, right? Like it's a forever thing. But I do think some will really take off and it'll probably be more than the technology winning is like, what's the biz dev cycle look like? Mm -hmm. Who can you convince to operate on your chain? Like what dApps operate on this chain um, and and what companies come and build stuff on this chain. And I think the the communication between chains is going to be really important. The ability to have collateral on one chain and a position on another chain is really yeah. important. Yeah. Um, so I think I think that'll be a big part of it. The bridge wars like kind of front ran the usage of bridges. Yeah. But you know, we might see like some of the uh, multi-protocol type stuff. Like, I, I was one of the early investors in Layer Zero, and Shout I think to, they, uh, yeah, Brian's a good friend of mine. Uh, yeah. We had him on the podcast to, to talk about it, but yeah, yeah I like, feel like so they're, they're doing good stuff there. Yeah, so Primo and Raz like really have their ear to the ground and understand that world, and uh, they're just crushing everybody, to be honest. And mm-hmm. I think that the, the winners are going to look like that, right? Where no matter which chain wins, they have an opportunity to win. But in terms of the alt layer ones or which layer two will will win, I have a hard time making that bet. I think the ones that the alternative layer twos that have the best EVM compatibility and also inherent uh, that ETH layer, ETH layer one security uh-huh. probably have a huge leg up versus yeah. the one that has to create its own security model 
and yeah. doesn't have that good of EVM compatibility. We've just yeah. seen like the network effects of EVM are massive. Yeah. And I think that it's those like the will ease of use, so like, like the, the, the same user base can, can move from one EVM chain to another without like any technical hurdles, which is right. Huge. Like and people I, are, people are just lazy and, and they don't want to learn to do new things when, when they already know how to do one thing. That's exactly right. And I think those network effects are really powerful. And I think the only other other thing I would give much merit would be where the developer ecosystem in a particular area has just really grown uh, to a certain point to to make a case for itself. And the only one that I really see doing that is Solana. But Solana has a ton of baggage, right? Like yeah. <laughs> there's yeah, FTX, there's yeah. early early investors who still have a cost basis of 11 cents and yeah. are happy to sell yeah. at any and all times. But, but there's um, like Serum and like all the, the, yeah, the SAM coins. They're, all the SAM coins are just massive baggage. But I think Anatoly is really a, a, a great leader. Um, mm -hmm. And we've seen them do some super interesting things. I think that they're trying to explore what's possible with like the the Solana phone uh -huh. experiment yeah, yeah. and like going crypto native, if something like that could catch on, I think it'd be really cool. Uh -huh. I think Solana has got a chance to be a real survivor. And like those kinds of scars as, <laughs> as they heal, like that makes you makes you strong. I don't know what that means for like, sole pricing relative to ether bitcoin mm -hmm. in the near term but if i'm looking for like where do i want to capture a move from a trader perspective like i'd be willing to make that bet on solana at some point i'm just not sure if it's like let eth run let <laughs> let btc run and then yeah. go for solana later from a trading perspective but i think from an ecosystem perspective solana um looks like a good candidate for survival and future thriving yeah that sounds about right um, I, I think I that's all we have solana for exposure for what yeah, worth, yeah so. I, I yeah i actually don't have any solana exposure either but i i still believe in the the ecosystem so Same. i think that's all we have for today i appreciate you coming on before we go you want to let the the listeners know where to find you and then maybe where to find like uh where to find flip or uh, yeah. updates on flip yeah yeah the biggest thing i'd uh love you to do is try flip just go to flip.xyz connect a wallet create a profile our profiles are awesome so like flip.xyz slash the at sign is where you can do that and you can like see how how cool it is and you can buy and, and uh and sell on multiple order books from there or do otc so it's, there's a great feed for all the things that you follow um i think you'll be impressed with what you see if you have any desire to pay attention to anything in nft land which not many people do but uh <laughs> i hope you'll give it a shot um maybe that's bottom things too by the way jay i don't know <laughs> it's pretty bad out there and then you can follow me at ledger status on twitter that's really about it and yeah i uh, appreciate you having me man i've respected your trading acumen for a long time and appreciate you uh letting me talk to you today no the, the pleasure was all mine i appreciate you coming on Thank you.